0: Our scripture this morning is the final chapter of the Gospel of John. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, And two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. Now this was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify god and after saying this he said to him follow me peter turned and saw the disciple whom jesus loved following them the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said lord who is it who is going to that will betray you when peter saw him he said to jesus lord what about this man And Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he should remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Let us today heed the word of the Lord. Last Monday,
1: the Richmond Times-Dispatch ran a half-page op-ed column from the LA Times by uh, an author named Hal Tossig. And the article was entitled This A New Edition of the Bible with 20,000 Revisions Should Spark 20,000 Thoughtful Conversations. He was commenting on the New Revised Standard Version, or NRSVU, released last month. And, and Tossig writes the following The update represents more than four years of intense work of the National Council of churches, and a large group of scholars in the Society of Biblical Literature. The result is careful and creative revisions. Like all new biblical translations and updates over the past millennium, including the King James Version, this brings new meanings to biblical text. Each iteration of the Bible addresses some need in the culture at that moment. I hope the updated edition fuels a wider public discussion, about what the Bible is becoming in our era. For instance, the reasons for revisions vary greatly, prompting the overall textual meanings to spin out in many directions and broadening dialogue. On one level, it sounds so noble. Sophisticated. Almost exciting. But that is spiritual poison, my friends. What, what Tossig celebrates, you should grieve. Not mock, not laugh at, ridicule, but grieve. Why? Because the goal of translating the Bible from the original languages in which it was written should never be to bring new meanings to biblical text. Scripture is not, it's not a a human plaything that we're free to reshape according to modern notions of identity and gender. It is the inerrant and infallible word of the living God. And so a passage like the one we read this morning can have multiple fulfillments or countless applications. But listen, it has only one meaning and only one meaning, an original and unchanging meaning established by the purposes of a faithful and unchanging God. Second Peter 1 verse 20, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 55, what what Josh read from earlier this morning, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it will what? Accomplish that which I purpose. His meaning. And shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. His goal. And that means that our goal in translating the Bible has to always be governed by the essential nature of the Bible. And one of the biggest mistakes we can make, and it's easy to make this mistake, is, you know, to to fill words that the Bible contains, and there are a lot of them in this book. To fill those words or just take one of those words and and fill it with our own meaning. Instead of doing the hard work of discerning, what, what did the original author, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, actually mean? What was he saying? What, what was the Lord who inspired him saying? So, so take John 20, verse 31. Look there, if you have a Bible, or your phone's open, better be only open to the Bible. What does John say? By believing, you may have life in his name, right? Well, if I were to take that word, life, and fill it with a modern, culturally acceptable meaning, I might say something like this Our lives are full of barriers to freedom and joy. If you believe in Jesus, he will empower you to to live the life you've always wanted to live. You'll be happy, healthy, rich. You'll have a a friend who will always affirm and never judge you. And if you feel like your life is already pretty good, Jesus will make it even more amazing. What's wrong with what I just did? Well, I told you a lie. I lied to you, right? Because that is not remotely what the word life means in verse 31. So what does it mean? (laughs) Let's go there. Well, this is the good news. Really the whole Bible. Scripture interprets Scripture, right? So John shows us it's is so important. In John 21, 1 through 25, the entire chapter Bob just read, what does he mean by the word life in John 20, verse 31? He, he illustrates, and it's an incredible illustration, what, what life in Jesus really entails, what it, what it looks like in action by, by the way he describes the third time that the Lord appeared to his disciples after the resurrection. He, he teaches us, John teaches us, that experiencing life in Jesus consists of several things. That's the structure for this morning's sermon, okay? Here's the first one. What does what experiencing life in Jesus consist of? What's it look like in action? First, it looks like trusting the Lord who provides. Life in Jesus Looks like trusting the Lord who provides. As John 21 opens, the the small band of Jesus' disciples or followers have have left Jerusalem. And they've they've left Jerusalem, gone back to the area of Galilee, to the Sea of Galilee, which is also called the Sea of Tiberias. And Jesus has already appeared twice to them on the heels of his resurrection. And I want you to notice, look at verse 1, how John describes both the first two appearances and the one that's about to happen. Look at verse one. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples. Okay, that, that word revealed, revealed himself is really important. Okay. Why? Because we cannot discover or reason our way to the knowledge of God, the way we come to understand math or art or marine biology. Okay? God has to make himself known to us. He has to reveal himself to us. True knowledge of God begins with his self-revelation. With what he has told us about himself through what? Well, through the world he's made. Through, through the written word, he's inspired. And, and ultimately, through the word made flesh, right? Through, through Jesus, the Son of God incarnate. So, so, how does Jesus reveal himself in John 21? We've got seven of his disciples or followers. They're hanging out together. And one of them, Simon Peter, says, I'm going fishing. And the others reply, we will go with you. Now let's get something really clear. There is nothing wrong with going fishing. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) I I hope there are some louder amens at other parts of this sermon, but I'm happy for you to affirm that as a fly fisherman. There's nothing wrong with fishing. But the timing of their decision, right? Right? coming as it does on the heels of John 20 21 where Jesus commissions them to preach the gospel suggests that they're they're not entirely enthusiastic about what they're supposed to do they're they're spiritually adrift they're floundering the the seeds of genuine faith of have taken root in their heart, but, but they're not engaged in God's mission for their life. They're just chilling. And the lesson that Jesus gives these guys who are a lot like us is foundational. Look at the end of verse three. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. No fish. Not one. Not even a little one. <laughs> to to be a human being is to be created for a relationship of absolute dependence on God. Not just in theory, but on Monday morning when you're wiring an electrical panel. It's true for moms. It's true for programmers. It's it's true for landscapers. Psalm 127, verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. You build your business in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. You pastor in vain. Have you ever found yourself in a situation, friend, where, where no matter what you do, it just feels like you are constantly, constantly coming up short. You you can't seem to pass the test or hit the quota or make enough money or or stay out of the hospital or keep your mouth shut or, or let go of bitterness or spiritually lead your family. One of the most loving things Jesus ever does for you and me is is to bring us face to face with the reality of our weakness and our insufficiency. With the poverty of human strength and wisdom. I, for one, would like to add, that never feels good. (laughs) Ever. But it's the first step toward experiencing life in Jesus. And frankly, it's a step we never get beyond. Look look at verse 5. We never move past our need for this. Jesus calls to them from the shore, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. No. His goal isn't to shame them, right? His goal is to help them grasp their absolute dependence on the God who provides. Not, not just for fishing, but, but in every aspect of life. He's, he's setting them up to recognize the truth of John fifteen five. What, what did Jesus say back there? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Fishing included. And so Jesus responds in verse six, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now I'm gonna refrain from guessing what was going through their minds when this guy on the shore, eating, making breakfast, (laughs) says, hey, why don't you try the other side of the boat? But they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. In every situation in your life, whether you are running a painting company or resolving a conflict with your spouse, what's the key to experiencing the favor and blessing of God? Hearing and obeying the word of God. That's the key. And that's exactly what the disciples did. Even though they had yet to know it was actually the Lord, right? And the Lord did what? He showed himself faithful. He he provided for them in a miraculous way. It's his gracious favor church that makes anything we do fruitful, always. And John, the the disciple whom Jesus loved, he was the first to recognize Jesus. Look at at verse 7. He says, it's the Lord, but, but I think Peter's response is my favorite, right? He, he just throws himself into the sea with his clothes on and, and begins swimming to shore. I love Peter. But how did John know it was Jesus? How did he know that? Because what Jesus did that morning is exactly what Jesus had been doing for three years. And it's exactly what Jesus is still in the business of doing today, friends. What's that? He's in the business of bringing abundance out of barrenness and life out of death and plenty in the midst of want and provision instead of poverty. I hope you realize that's the story of the gospel. That's the gospel. We, we bring what? We bring our sin. We bring our weakness. We bring our need for a savior. And what's Jesus do? He provides the salvation we need. He's the living Lord who provides for his people. And that, that catch of what? 153 large fish dragged ashore. That, that should have broken the net, right? But it didn't. Why not? Because Jesus grants both the provision we need and the means to receive it and steward it. So it's what the Christian life is all about depending on the God who provides. And in verse 12, look there, Jesus says this to them. I love this. Guys, come and have breakfast. They'd worked all night. Jesus knew they were really hungry. So think about this. The hands that in that very moment were upholding the universe cooked breakfast for seven hungry guys on a beach. Jesus doesn't just provide for our spiritual needs. He provides for our physical needs too. Why? Because no need is too small or too great for the God who provides. And they, they still have all kinds of questions, right? I mean, they, they long to ask him, who are you? Who, who are you? Is the man that we just saw die on the cross really making breakfast for us on a beach? (laughs) Really? (laughs) Their doubts aren't surprising because the character and ways of Almighty God never fit into the smallness of human logic and human understanding to which we should say, praise be to God. And yet, despite their questions, they knew, look at verse 12, they knew it was the Lord. They knew it was the Lord. How? Well, because they recognized Jesus on account of his faithfulness to provide. Friend, you will know Jesus. You will come to recognize Jesus. You will come to trust Jesus for the same reason today. No one else saves like him. No one else deals with the reality of our sin and our guilt like him. No no one else anticipates our needs and provides for us like him. Nobody else reaches into our hearts, including the places that we think that is so dead, that is so not alive, and Jesus brings life. Nobody else can do that. He, He isn't standing far off, waiting for you to get your act together. He's inviting you to his table, friend. He wants to feed you. He wants to fellowship with you. He he knows your needs and will provide immeasurably more than bread and fish. He'll give you the gift of himself because he's the savior you require. He's the God you were created to depend on. So, So don't try to rescue yourself by breaking all the rules or keeping all the rules. Come to Jesus Because he's not dead. He's alive. He's the living God who provides for his people. That's the first way we experience life in his name, trusting the Lord who provides. Here's the second loving Jesus by loving his people. What what is Jesus looking for in response to the life he gives? What's, What's he after? What what does he require of us in return? Well, well, it's not new. It's what he's been looking for, what he's been after all along. Go go back to Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. What what does Jesus want? Very simple, friend. He wants your heart. He wants your affections. The, The right response to the life he provides is steadfast love for the lover of our souls. That's the right response. Look at verse 15. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Two questions. Why does Jesus single out Peter? And why does he use his old name Simon? Instead of Cephas or Peter. The names Jesus gave him back in John 142 when when he first called the man to follow him. Well friends, it's because of something Peter did back in chapter 18 around another charcoal fire during Jesus' darkest hour. He denied the Lord. He did not love Jesus. He didn't remain loyal to Jesus. He, he loved the approval of men more than he loved the lover of his soul. That's what he did. He refused to confess his love for the Lord, but that's not what Peter thought he would do. Or Earlier in John 13, he, he, he was so confident in his spiritual maturity. He, he swore he would never do such a thing. 1337, I will lay down my life for you. I will lay down my life for you. And actually Matthew 26.33, 33, we, we get a little bit more detail in, into the heart attitude behind Peter's boasting. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Because Jesus loves that man, as he loves you, friend, he does not turn a blind eye to Peter's failure. He doesn't just move on. Chapter 21, he does two things. He uses his old name, Simon, confronting Peter with the fact that that when he denied the Lord, he was denying his new identity in Christ turning back to the kind of man he used to be. And then Jesus points to these, to the other disciples, and graciously gives Peter an opportunity to change his tune, to to exchange self-confident boasting for the humility of love. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Are you really any different, Simon? What do you think, pal? Because I don't want this superior strength you once thought you brought to the table. I want your heart, I want your affections. Recognize your weakness, buddy. Confess your your disloyalty. S- see the provision I made by laying down my life for you when you were completely unwilling to lay down your life for me. I, I died so you could be forgiven. Simon, don't boast in your own righteousness. Your own power doesn't make you a Peter, a rock. It's my grace at work within you, Simon. Boast in me. Treasure me. Love me, Peter. Because I'm the one who loved you first. And what's so stunning about this moment, friends, is is Jesus didn't owe Peter a chance to repent any more than he owes you and me. But, but in the greatness of his mercy, he, he poses to us the exact same question he posed to Peter. He poses it to you right now. Do you love Jesus? Do you love him? Not, do you believe he's a real person? Or has some good things to say? Or some helpful guidance for life? Do you love Jesus? Has he captured your heart? Does he have your deepest affections? Do do you prize him above everything else in this world? Or, Or are your greatest affections really reserved for something else or someone else? Do you love him? J.C. Ryle says it this way, listen very carefully, knowledge, orthodoxy, correct views, regular use of forms, think showing up to church on Sunday, a respectable moral life, all of these do not make up a true Christian. There must be some personal feeling toward Christ. Why does he say that? Is he saying it's the people who cry the most on the stage who are the the, the most Christian? <laughs> is he saying unless unless you feel like the most emotional person in the room, you don't really love Jesus? No, we can't be saying that, which is why I don't feel anything. It's like two ditches, right? What's he saying? He's recognizing that something Jesus said, he who has been forgiven much, loves much. Jesus helped Peter recognize just how much he needed the Lord's forgiveness. What did he do for the man? He gave him the gift of godly sorrow. Look at verse 18. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? Why why did he say it three times? Because that's how many times Peter denied the Lord. He's not doing that to to rub Peter's face in his sin. He's he's giving him an opportunity to repent, to to experience the Lord's forgiveness, to be reinstated as a disciple of Jesus. His his grace melts Peter's heart. It's so clear. Peter, what's he do? He, He... abandons all the old comparisons. Do you see that? He he gives up his former self-confidence and, and even his own assessment of his love. And he confesses his love for Jesus. Look at verse 17. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. You know that I love you. The, the Lord's kindness leads Peter to repentance. Leads him to repentance, to to take refuge, not in the strength of his desire, but in the object of his affection, in Jesus. And then Jesus says, great, now that we've got the love box checked, what are we gonna do with all these fish? (laughs) No, no, without disparaging Peter for fishing, he calls Peter to a different sort of labor, not once or twice, but three times. Look at verse 15. Peter, if you love me, feed my lambs. Verse 16, if you love me, tend my sheep. Verse 17, if you love me, feed my sheep. Mere weeks ago, this guy had spectacularly failed to remain loyal to Jesus. And a few weeks later, a few weeks later, Jesus calls him to embrace the privilege and responsibility of pastoral ministry. Really? Yeah. Because the grace of God is that powerful. Because Jesus doesn't put you on permanent probation. If there was a big moment in your life where you completely failed the Lord, he doesn't stick you in park. He doesn't say, you know what? Thanks for playing. I won't zap you, but I'm done using you no, not this Jesus. Not not the God whose ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. The whole context of that in Isaiah 55 is not God's just a mystery, but how can we ever comprehend the compassion and goodness and faithfulness of a covenant-keeping Lord? And the principle here don't miss this, applies to more than pastors. Jesus is saying in in no uncertain terms, here's the principle, that love for him is necessarily expressed through love for his people. That's the point. You love me, then you'll love my chosen people, but both those who know him already and those who have yet to come to know him through our love. Instead of disparaging the church or criticizing the church, or assuming someone else will care for all those people we gladly spend and are spent for the sake of the body of Christ that's what he's saying and that is really hard work friends really hard work caring for sheep loving fellow christians is sacrificial and messy ask any shepherd it means sleepless nights long days getting bitten stepped on, pushed around. It's a wonderful image. Why? Because loving people will always cost you something. But it's how we love the Lord himself. If you you genuinely love the Savior who laid down his life for you, you will love the church. That's the point. And if you don't love the church or if you find a criticism coming on, anytime you think about the church, then you don't actually love Jesus. As I say that, I have to say this, okay? Preaching in this context, so many of you friends in this room excel, you really do excel, at loving Jesus by loving his people. So many of you excel in this area. And and to you, I simply say, see to it that you do so more and more. Whether you have been doing that for five weeks or five decades, see to it that you do it more and more. And here are two practical ways we do it. On Sunday morning, when the service gets out, don't bolt for your car. Plan your day so you can linger The NFL games I love to watch don't start until 1 (laughs) p.m. We have never, ever, and I've been here from the beginning, had a Sunday service that went past 1 p.m. Plan your day so you can linger. Introduce yourself to someone you don't know. Find out how they're doing. Ask how you can pray for them. Pray for them right then and there or, or during the week. And then next Sunday, come back and track them down and Ask how it's going. Here's another way. If if you're not part of a community group, or what we call a a small group of adults that's on a mission to to help each other follow Jesus in every area of life, then join one. You you can find a list on our website with locations they gather during the week. You can't love somebody you don't know, right? We, We can't love people we don't ever spend time with or just... Wave two across the auditorium on our way out of the building. Join a community group. And, and if you hear yourself saying in response to these kinds of things, Pastor, I just don't have time for that. Well, then remember this, okay? A, a supreme love for Jesus will necessarily realign your resources, time included, with his priorities. Always. If you're too busy to spend time knowing and praying for and serving God's people, then you need to reevaluate, friend, whether you really love Jesus or, or whether your affections have crept away from God's people and him to something else. Experiencing life in his name doesn't just mean trusting the Lord who provides, but also loving him by loving his people. Here's the final mark of this life. Final thing we need to do and keep our eyes on. Point number three, we keep our eyes on our sovereign king. We got to keep our eyes on our sovereign king. Always. In verse 18, Jesus tells Peter that that a life devoted to loving him by loving the people of God is going to cost him dearly. In fact, so dearly that when he's old, he will die a martyr's death by crucifixion. That's what Jesus is foretelling here. And, and John adds in verse 19, in case we miss that, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Well, that's kind of a morbid way to end a good book. <laughs> well, Jesus didn't want Peter to be surprised by suffering. He he doesn't pull a bait and switch on the poor guy, you know? Peter, following me is going to be amazing. Oh yeah, but there's this little suffering thing I forgot to tell you about. (laughs) No, no, no. He comes straight out in verse 18 and tells Peter, devoting yourself to the Lord's work compelled by love for Jesus, will require you to die, Peter. You love me by loving my people? You will have to die. And then, and only then, does he say at the end of verse 19, now, follow me. you you realize Jesus' word to us, to you today, friend? It's no different. To follow a crucified Savior is to die. But perhaps not like Peter, but but to die nonetheless. It means dying to ourselves. Dying to our own authority, our comfort, our reputation, and, and earthly treasure. It means putting sinful desires to death, waging war against the lust of the flesh. It means swimming upstream in the current of this world by obeying God's commands instead of floating along with what everyone else is doing. Romans 12 verse 1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, the compassion of the God who provides, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And as hard as that must have been, For Peter to hear. Maybe maybe as hard as that is for you to hear, friend. No, there is precious comfort in Jesus' words here. Really sweet comfort. The the sacrifices, here's the comfort. The sacrifices that we must make to love God are not a mystery to the Savior who holds all things in his hands. They're not. He's a sovereign king. We were singing about that earlier. He knows every detail of your life. He knew every detail of Peter's life. Why? Because he's in control of your life, past and present and future. And if you're willing to follow him, the death you die, the price you pay, like Peter, will ultimately serve to glorify the name of Jesus. Suffering for Jesus' sake in the path of loving other people, is never, ever meaningless. It shows the world just how precious and beautiful Jesus is. What a comfort to know that he holds our future in his hands, church. And that that even the most painful parts of our life, the the times when he says, follow me and, and suffer in this way for my sake, What a comfort to know that that even that will ultimately be to the praise of his glory and your eternal good. And Peter counts that cost. Again, and he chooses to follow Jesus, but look at verse 20. As soon as he makes that call, he turns. Oh, he's just like us. (laughs) Isn't he? Just like us. He sees John, the author of the fourth gospel, walking behind him. And he says in verse 21, Lord, um, what about this man? What's he doing? He's pulling the comparison lever. <laughs> Do you see? What about that guy? He wants to know how his future, which Jesus has just made painfully clear, stacks up against the other disciples. Will they be crucified too? How will their suffering compare to my suffering? Am I getting a fair shake here or did I just draw a short straw? Well, look at verse 22. Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, Peter, Peter, what is that to you? You follow me. You follow me. Comparison will destroy your life in King Jesus. Always. No matter which way it shakes. Okay? It inevitably leads either the pride of self-righteousness look at how much better I am or the pride of self-pity look at all the things I deserve to enjoy that I'm not getting so what's Jesus say Peter don't focus on my plan my sovereign will for other people Don't, don't follow the people around you follow me Peter Obey me, regardless of what I require from them. Keep your eyes on me. Follow me. Church, if you start thinking about how much better that woman's husband is or how much better that guy's job is or how much healthier those people are or how many more papers that coworker has published or how much harder you're working for Jesus' sake compared to all the freeloaders around you, you will destroy your soul. And so will I. Because all those comparisons will take your eyes off Jesus. And the contentment and satisfaction and joy that come from holding fast and fixing your gaze on him alone. Your times are in his hands. You realize that. Trust him with the work he's called you to do and the boundary lines he's established. Even your foolish choices, don't don't escape his sovereign care, Christian. Rest in knowing he will be faithful to glorify himself through your life. If, If there were a better path for you to walk, providence would have appointed it for you. So lament the sorrows you don't understand Refuse to begrudge God's perfect wisdom. And then keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, because he is the good shepherd. He's your faithful redeemer. He's going to bring you safely home. Love for Jesus is expressed through love for his people and sacrificial love for his people requires keeping your eyes on Jesus, not on his people. He's all you need. If you take one thing away from the gospel of John, it's like, can I do this? <laughs> How could we possibly summarize the gospel of John? I want you to take away this. No life is better than the life we find in Jesus No life is better. It's the message of the gospel. Those who, those who believe Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, have life in his name. It's not, it's not meager or paltry or just slightly better than what the world offers kind of life. It's a rich and abundant life because of the goodness of the one who gives it to us. And, and we've seen his glory chapter after chapter. Verse after verse for, for nearly, well, two years. We've been confronted page after page with the the majesty and mercy of Jesus. And yet we we will never plumb the depths of the salvation that he won for us. The glory of that gospel through his life and death and resurrection. We'll never penetrate to the bottom of it and say, oh, well, there's that. No more glory. (laughs) It won't happen. Why not? Because the wonder of the person and work of Christ is greater than you can imagine. And I think John's last words in verse 25 have to rank among my favorite verses in the entire Bible. No joke. And I can't think of a better way to end this series. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Who can fathom all his wondrous deeds? Who, Who can measure all, all that Jesus has done is doing and, and will surely accomplish through the power of the gospel. You can't. You can't. So, so let us respond to, to all we have seen in this book, friends. By trusting the Lord who provides, do that. Loving him by loving his people and then keeping your eyes on Jesus because that's the only way You'll persevere in loving his people. To have Jesus is to have life, for no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Let's pray. King Jesus, we are exceedingly grateful. Not just for our time in this precious book, but for what it says, for what you mean, your one singular meaning, when you say, by believing we may have life in your name. Jesus, thank you for what you mean by life in your name. And we ask that we would experience that life by trusting you as the Lord who provides, loving you by loving your people and keeping our eyes on you, come what may, be our great and consuming vision, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.